Today on Bob and Yurt Live, we're going back to an old broadcast classic where Bob discusses and defends the Trinity with a unique approach. I hope you guys enjoy. Let's jump right into the broadcast. It gets beyond all the headlines you read. Don't need a service with a weak and a nod. You need a man on a mission from God. Well, not to worry, is Bob in your life. Greetings to the brightest audience in the country. I am Bob Enyart, the pastor of Denver Bible Church. By the way, this week, this Sunday, you're invited to. Worship with us at Maranatha Christian Center in Arvada. That's our new location at 72nd and Oak. And boy, we're going to have a great time. So come on out, Denver Bible Church, Sunday morning, 9.30 Sunday school, 11 o'clock service. Now today, I'm going to, in a couple minutes, tell you about a meeting I had this morning with a very well-known Jehovah's Witness. He's been a an evangelist for the Jehovah's Witnesses for decades. Him and his wife and their four kids work full-time promoting the Jehovah Witness message, which is that there is no eternal soul, and Jesus Christ is not God. There is no Trinity, but you should trust only the Jehovah's Witnesses for the truth. And in our meeting... Well, I brought a book of mine out of my library from 1921, and it's titled The Harp of God, and it was written by the president at the time, J.F. Rutherford, and on the cover of the book, on the cover, there's a false prophecy, on the cover, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, in their, their early decades, they proclaimed many prophecies, end times-like prophecies, the governments of the world would be taken down, and millions would never die, and Christ would return. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would return. And none of these prophecies came true. And, of course, the Bible warns against a false prophet, don't trust them. So I'll, I'll talk about that in just a moment. But first, many of you know we got back from Florida this weekend. And while I was down there, I want to tell you about a conversation I had with a homosexual businessman And then another one with my cousin, Kim. All right, the homosexual businessman, his, well, let's see. He owns about 14 hotels in the Fort Lauderdale area, a few restaurants, homosexual establishments in New York and L.A. And my producer and I spent an hour talking with him. And during the conversation, he said, He said, what makes something wrong? What makes anything wrong? And what would your answer to that be? What makes something wrong? If you say, well, don't do that, that's wrong. What makes something right or wrong? And my answer to him was anything that contradicts the character of God, anything that goes against the character of God, that's wrong. So it's important that we get to know God. And know what he's like so we can start so we can start doing right through him and stop hurting one another and hurting ourselves. So anyway, his name, by the way, Paul Galuccio, he's a close relative of ours. He's a he's a first cousin, actually, of my mother's. And so 
pray for Paul, but then I got to meet, we got to meet with my first cousin, one of them, got 10 of us, Kim. And Kim is a beautiful Christian wife and mother, and she has three children, and their kids are going to Christian school, and they're really concerned about the high cost, and they're debating whether to send them to public school, and, you know, when they get older. And we urge them to reconsider because of how immoral the public school experience is. And so I get back to Denver, and in my inbox is a story. Let's see here. Uh, This is a survey that was done in Florida, in Tampa, Florida. The Hillsborough Hillsborough County Middle Schools, a district-wide survey, revealed that 20% of middle school students said they have had sexual intercourse. 20%, 20%, 1 in 5. Wow. And of course, some of them could be lying. But the ones who are lying are probably the ones who said no, more so than the ones who said yes. But what a tragedy. What an absolute tragedy. And of course, in high school, it's, uh, it's significantly worse. And if you send your daughters to public school, what you're basically sentencing them to is years of being the target of sexual comments, sexual jokes. They'll be asked for sexual favors. And the chances are significant that your daughters will experiment with, at the very least, bisexuality sometime while they're in middle school or high school. So beware and do what you can to make sure that your kids don't go to public school. And if they do go... Do what you can to take them out. All right. So uh, now back to my meeting this morning with, I'll give you the man's first name, Isidorus. Isidorus. And we met by chance some weeks ago in Golden and along Clear Creek. We were both hiking Clear Creek. And we chatted and found out he's a Jehovah's Witness. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. And so we decided to get together and talk. And a few weeks ago, I mailed him a tape, a recorded Bible study we've done called, Is This Man God? Is This Man God? And I assured him that even though Jehovah's Witnesses are very accustomed to Christians debating them on the topic of Christ's deity, that the Verses used on this tape would not be the verses that he's familiar with for 30 years arguing with Christians. That this would be a brand new, a different look at the subject of Christ's deity. All right. And he gave me an article that was published in Awake magazine that was the story of his life. His life, his wife, his kids. So so they're well-placed in the Jehovah's Witness community. And we met this morning, and the thing he wanted to talk about was the deity of Christ. And in a moment, I'll tell you his argument, but unfortunately, he hadn't listened to that tape that I sent to him. He said he listened to a a bit of it. But, uh, But I'll 
present to you the argument that's on that tape in one moment. But first, I asked him, I said, Isidorus, of course, you could present many Bible verses, the verses you like to present to argue that Christ is not God, according to the Bible. And then I will counter with many of my Bible verses and responses to your verses, and we'll basically be throwing Bible verses back and forth at each other. And it probably will not be effective. Neither of us will convince the other. But one thing I would like you to consider is the credibility of the organization, Jehovah's Witnesses. They're also called the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society. That's their publishing arm. I said, I'd like you to consider the credibility of that organization. I got out of my library, and I brought it in a plastic bag because it's old and it's beginning to fall apart. It's a book written by their president. Now, they were founded by Charles Russell. He was born in the 1850s, and he started the Jehovah's Witnesses when he was about 20 years old or so. And then when he passed on, the next president of the organization was J.F. Rutherford. And he wrote this book, The Harp of God. And on the very cover of the book, right, it's published by the Watchtower Society. And on the cover, it's the title, The Harp of God. And then basically the subtitle, Proof Conclusive That Millions Now Living Will Never Die. Now, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe... By the way, our phone number is 1-800-8-N-Y-A-R-T. That's 1-800-836-9278. 1-800-836-9278. The Jehovah's Witnesses believe that, well, when they were founded in their first decades, they were repeatedly making end times prophecies, predictions of dramatic end times events. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were going to return. Jesus was going to return. The governments of the world would be destroyed. The kingdom would be ushered in. Millions now living would never die. I mean, it's right on the cover of his book. And the Bible says that you know a prophet by the outcome. And if someone's prophecies do not come true, then it's a false prophet. Beware. And so when you take that test to the Jehovah's Witnesses, you find out that all their prophecies failed. They all failed. And so I wanted to begin our discussion with the credibility of Jehovah's Witnesses as an organization, since that's where Isidorus heard the teaching that Jesus is not God. And not surprisingly, he kept trying to change the topic to talk about the deity of Christ. Okay. Well, that's understandable. And I would, during the conversation, remind him that he was continually changing the topic. But what I'd like to do is quote to you from some of the false prophecies of the Jehovah's Witnesses. All right? And we have to go back some years because they were formed in the late 1800s. So here are a few, and this one, I'll start with, let's see, with uh, with J.F. Rutherford, their second president after Russell died. In 1918, he wrote this on page 89 
of another book he wrote called Millions Now Living Will Never Die. He wrote, therefore, we may confidently expect that 1925 will mark the return of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, now, to the best of my knowledge, that year passed, and the patriarchs of Israel never returned. In 1922, the Watchtower, their publication called The Watchtower, on page 262, September 1st, 1922, wrote, The date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the scriptures than 1914. You see, for some time, the Jehovah's Witnesses had predicted that the Lord would return in 1914. And 1914 came and went, and there was no second coming. And so they they began to say, well, it's actually God's presence. Uh, Jesus, his presence is here. And Jesus himself warned us in the Bible— he said, speaking of his return, when if men say that I've returned and the Lord is here or there, don't believe them, because my coming will be like lightning flashes from the east to the west, and every eye will see. All the world will behold the coming of Jesus Christ. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they had a crisis because 1914 came and went, And there was no second coming. So they ended up, their official line is, that was his presence, his spiritual presence. I had thought he was here all along. You know, he said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in their midst. And God, uh, okay, so, so anyway, then another quote here. So they said the date 1925 is even more distinctly indicated by the scriptures than 1914. And then 1923, you can read in the Watchtower, and you could find all this, of course, documented on the Internet. It's uh, simple to do. 1923, our our thought is that 1925 is definitely settled by the scriptures. As to Noah... The Christian now has much more upon which to base his faith than Noah did. All right, so we know that Noah, Jesus said the end times be like in the days of Noah. And they said, hey, we're more certain of 1925 than Noah was that the flood was coming. And 1925 came and went, and, you know, it was no big deal, eschatologically speaking. And so I said to Isidorus, Isidorus, you need to... You need to come to terms with the reality that the Jehovah's Witnesses, in their early decades, they made many end times prophecies, all of which failed. And you know what? He did admit he was trying to defend them, especially the 1914 one, and they argue fiercely that Jesus did return spiritually. So that's their argument. But he admitted that they made many prophecies that didn't come true. And he pointed to a verse in Proverbs, and he said, but as you go on, you get more and more light, more and more revelation, more and more understanding as time goes on. And I said, Isidorus, that's true. Of course that's true. 
But that doesn't justify false prophecies. A greater understanding is not a defense for a false prophet, because then there would be no false prophet. Every false prophet would quote that verse of yours and say, well, there's just greater understanding as time goes on, and then what's the use of prophecy? So he really wanted to stick with the topic of of the deity of Christ. And so we did go to that topic. And, of course, for decades, he's been arguing with Christians, and he's prepared for the arguments that we make. And so I didn't want to just make the same arguments because it would be he, he would sort of zone out intellectually, and it would be the same old, same old for him. So I said, Isidorus, I'd like to, did you listen to that tape? Because at Bob and Yurt Live, we put out this tape for years now. It's called, Is This Man God? And he said, no, I listened to a little bit, but I, I, uh, I didn't listen to it. So I said, okay, well, I'd like to present you with Bible verses that are normally not used when Christians talk to Jehovah's Witnesses. And the point I'm going to make is that Christ's message, not, not just one verse or two, but a hundred verses, Christ's message centered around himself. He pointed everyone to himself. And I'll give you a, an example of those verses. But if he was a created angel, a created being, if he was created by God, then the focus of his message, if he were to be true, would focus around God, not around him. But while he mentioned the Father and the Holy Spirit, of course, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God and three persons, while he mentioned the Father and the Spirit, his message overwhelmingly was about him. And that would be terribly inappropriate if he were not God. A created being coming to represent God should not make themselves the center of attention. So we got into this discussion, and I pointed out that in the Old Testament, over 400 times, in the New King James, 420 times, we read, thus says the Lord. Right? That's a trademark of the Old Testament. Thus says the Lord. In the New Testament, how many times do we read that? The answer is zero. But in the four Gospels, Jesus proclaims, I say to you, 135 times in the four Gospels. So it shows you the thrust of the message, how the message was changing from thus saith the Lord to I say unto you. All right. Now, Jesus said a dozen, more than a dozen times, almost 20 times, he said, follow me. 18 times he said, pray in my name or do things in my name. Now, that would be unusual, wouldn't it? If Moses or Samuel or Aaron, the high priest, or the angel Gabriel came and said, pray in my name. And you say, what's your name? My name is Gabriel. Pray in the name of Gabriel. Wouldn't that be weird? If the archangel Michael said, follow me, be a little weird. 
He said, Jesus said, the Holy Spirit comes in my name. He said repeatedly, for my name's sake, leave your family, your mother, your father, your property. For his sake, you think you think Elijah would get, get away with saying that? For my sake, for me, leave your family. No, you do that for God. You don't do that for an angel. Jesus five times said that we should be willing to be killed for him. He said, believe in the name of the Son. Right? Believe in the Son repeatedly. Speaking of himself in the third person, he said, believe in him four times. Believe in me a dozen times. He said, you are sanctified by faith in me. Isn't that amazing? Faith in God. Well, we understand that. But for a Jehovah's Witness, how do you defend Jesus putting himself at the center of his message? Shouldn't he say, believe in God? But he says, believe in me. He says, you are sanctified by faith in me. He says, abide in me. Repeatedly, he says that. He says, abide in my love. How is it that a created being would have love that people should live in? That's too weird. These are all things that only God himself could say. He said, I, Jesus, I will abide in you. That indicates omnipresence. Created beings only exist in one place. But Jesus said, I will abide in you. Wow. Right? Wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. It's like omnipresence, right? Jesus said, I am he. He said, believe that I am he, or you will die in your sins. Know that I am he. He said, do things, whatever, for my sake. Even lose your life for my sake. He says, to the wicked, I never knew you. Depart from me. To someone who has leprosy, he said, I am willing. Be cleansed. He says, confess me. Repeatedly, he says, do not deny me seven times. Do not deny me. Do not be ashamed of me. Five times, love me. Again, love me more than mother, father. Do you, you see the, the overview? When you look at the overview, you're better able to comprehend the details. Jesus says, be worthy of me. Come to me. Repeatedly, five times he says, come to me, like in Matthew eleven twenty eight. John 5.40. He says, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Our rest is from God. And Jesus says, I will give you rest for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't that neat? He says, I am greater than the temple. I am greater than Jonah. I am greater than Solomon. I am the Lord even of the Sabbath. Wow. He said, he who is not with me is against me. You know, the angels, he said they are his angels. 
He commands his angels. The kingdom of God is his kingdom. He calls it my kingdom. Jesus called it my church. Believers are my sheep. Believers are his elect. The Apostle Paul is a vessel of mine to bear my name. All mine are yours and yours are mine, he says to the Father. He says, keep my commandments. I thought they were God's commandments, the Ten Commandments, right? In the Mosaic Law, Jesus is speaking to Israel. He says, keep my commandments. Four times he calls them his commandments. You are my friend if you do whatever I command you. Keep my word, my peace I give. My peace I give. Not God's peace. Now, of course, it is God. And all these, Jesus is God. But he could put himself at the center of his message because he is the creator, the savior, the God who made us. In me, you may have peace. My joy should fill you. Imagine that. His joy should fill us because he's God. The big issue was, who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? He said, receive me so many times. Come after me repeatedly. Live in me, John eleven twenty six. My words will never pass away repeatedly. Do not be ashamed of my words. Tell others about me. Do not be ashamed of me. You belong to Christ. Imagine that. Do you belong to an angel or a prophet? No, we belong to God. Hear my sayings and do them. Do not be offended because of me. Jesus has his own glory. The Son is glorified. He who hears me. And this goes on and on. I'm just partway through this extraordinary list of how Jesus Christ put himself at the center of his message. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Imagine that. I will manifest myself. Be mine, John 14, 24. I am the vine. Without me, you can do nothing. Isn't that extraordinary? And to his 12 apostles, not to all believers, but to his 12 apostles, he said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Those who oppress Christians, he said, are persecuting me. Isn't that intense? We're not persecuting Gabriel. If, if, if men persecute Christians, they're not persecuting angels, but God. And so Jesus said they're persecuting me because they have not known me. The Spirit will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it. All things that the Father has are mine. The Father loves you because you have loved me. I have overcome the world. He has. And finally, he says, if I will that he remain. If I will. In John 21, Jesus, it's his will. So it's an extraordinary story, the New Testament account of Jesus Christ. And the Jehovah's Witnesses look at passages where Christ is humble or he submits to the Father, and they say, look, he's in submission to the Father. And Paul says in the end times that that the Son will subject himself to the Father. 
Yeah, and that's all willingly, willingly. One God in three persons. Now, can we understand that? Now, that's awfully difficult to understand. I admit that. But we don't understand light, gravity, motion, matter. I mean, we don't understand these most simple things like how our soul spirit is interfaced into our bodies. We don't get it. So the fact that we can't understand God should not surprise us. We can't even understand the simplest or the most basic aspects of our own existence. All right, so that's just a bit of a report of uh, Bob and your live behind the scenes in Florida talking to a homosexual businessman and a Christian mom thinking about sending her kids to public school and then a Jehovah's Witness this morning. So Maranatha Christian Center in Arvada, simply the best Christian school I've ever seen. Check them out, Maranatha. They're at 72nd and Oak. And join us, Denver Bible Church, there Sunday morning for church.